0: So what would happen if you practiced wholeheartedly in a way that's appropriate for your circumstances, not trying to reach some ideal. This is not about pushing or striving. It's about really letting go into what is happening, accepting each moment and saying yes to the dance. Can you find welcome in this unrepeatable moment? This this rare opportunity, this confluence of conditions, utterly supportive for the process of seeing what is true How can you honor this with your participation in your way that's also honoring you as we ride the inevitable ups and downs of a sasheen, the inevitable ups and downs of a human life? For example, you may be sitting with reservations, waiting to see what the results will be from your practice. Measuring out the energy for or willingness to continuing the practice based on what results you see. So this is a little transactional. Even something like not chanting wholeheartedly. that may seem small but holding back in any way is really quite exhausting. It's like driving with the gas and the brake on at the same time. And just think of the damage that would do to your car. So what if you put your whole body, mind, and heart in? What if you let yourself be absorbed into the container and just see what happens? What if you really accepted your life is only this moment? Accepted this is it. Accepted what's emerging and responded to that, to this. What is this moment calling for from you? What if you make your practice, make yourself an offering? This is another way to practice metta. Having accepted this is what's happening making an offering of yourself, making an offering of your life energy, enjoining this continuous flow. We align with the way. We accept our life. We allow the flow to carry us. It's a lot less effortful. a lot less effortful than struggling against it, or even worse, maybe counting down and running out the clock. That kind of practice is like trying to stop the ocean or trying to stop the breeze from happening. What happens when you bring your whole being to this moment? Can you feel your aliveness, right here, right now. You are alive. Whatever form it's taking, this is it. The monastery is designed to train the mind. Just like a skillful gardener, might train a branch or a vine. They provide a scaffolding for it to grow as it naturally does. They encourage it to grow in a particular way. So built into the schedule are these kinds of scaffoldings. There are innumerable opportunities to train the mind into alignment with the way that things are. We move in ways that show us that our life is an offering. There are specific moments of opportunity for this habit-making. The more you do a thing, the more you can do that thing. In the meal chant, we say, May we realize the emptiness of the three wheels, giver, receiver, and gift. What is this emptiness? If we look, we might see the blurriness of these categories of giver, receiver, and gift. When I offer a bow to someone on the path, when I infuse that bow with the true spirit of friendliness and a wish for their happiness, who benefits? What am I receiving from that other person? What or who is the gift here? In emptiness, we realize that we have been relating to the world in a limited way that we're placing limits on this dynamic, continuous aliveness. This has been referred to as walls of the mind. You can call it walls of the mind. Another way to say it is thought coverings. I like that phrase, thought coverings. When we chant the Heart Sutra, the line that has always stood out to me since the first time I ever heard it, It just about knocked me out when I first heard it, is this one. With nothing to attain, a bodhisattva relies on Prajnaparamita, and thus the mind is without hindrance. Without hindrance, there is no fear. I mean, I didn't even really know what a bodhisattva was or Prajnaparamita, but, and I sure didn't know what nothing to attain was. What even is that? and some way to live without fear there's a lot in there there's a lifetime of practice embedded in that line lifetimes with nothing to attain a bodhisattva relies on prajna paramita and thus the mind is without hindrance without hindrance there is no fear A bodhisattva is a being on the path to awakening. Prajnaparamita means the perfection of wisdom. This is in reference to the balance of wisdom and compassion that Bancho was speaking about yesterday. Wisdom is seeing what's true, and compassion is letting the heart be touched. Sometimes these are referred to as the two wings of a bird, seeing what is true and letting the heart be touched. We will at some point uh, open the practice to the other categories of focus. Traditionally utilized in the practice of metta, which include neutral beings and difficult ones. So we will need both wisdom and compassion for that. Metta practice in relationship to compassion, metta practice is the wish for well being. It's essentially the same energy as compassion. Compassion arises in response to suffering and includes the desire, the urge to alleviate suffering. Metta is an indiscriminate wish for well being, no requirements. Metta practice helps us blur these thought coverings or remove the walls of the mind. We practice it over and over and over again when we use the method to direct friendliness to beings in different categories. Metta for the entire cosmos. So we've been practicing with this method, maybe various methods, letting the body's sensations be a touchstone, letting the sensation in the body of presence perhaps a gratitude for our dear ones or a sense of safety and ease. Allowing that to soften the ground and wishing peace, wishing ease, wishing happiness to ourselves. And that can take as long as it takes you don't have to stop wishing metta towards yourself. You don't have to change anything. We've also been letting the arising of a dear one further soften our hearts, feeling this wish for their well being, invoking this energy of friendliness, and making this an offering, which may be embodied supported by a visualization, or the phrases, or all of these. There's even the song that we're singing at night. You can just sing that to yourself all day long. And we have practiced with expanding this wish to all beings, removing the walls, the ceiling, the floor, Practicing, aligning with what already is, infinite connection with all beings, nothing left out of this field of benevolence. We will continue that, so feel free to continue that. The traditional categories of metta include directing these wishes of well-being towards neutral ones, those we don't know, those seen and unseen, and also difficult ones. And I wonder if these perhaps correspond somewhat to the three poisons that we talk about in Buddhism, greed, anger, and ignorance. Metta might be a way of working with these. Greed, anger, and ignorance are nothing personal, by the way. They're beginningless. And yet here they are. So how do we work with them? We have the technology. 99% of it is noticing. And already that is happening. Judging is extra. We can hold our experience of these three aspects of humanness in the light of awareness. And as we do, they naturally transform. So sometimes what happens, and maybe when we are practicing, even with one of our dear ones, we want to keep them close. We want the best for them. We want their well-being. And this can be an exclusive kind of habit, an expression, maybe, maybe sneaky, of greed. And it limits the practice in a way. A practice that is truly indiscriminate. And this can also be how what's called the near enemy of metta arises. The near enemy. So very close to metta, but not quite. And that would be attachment, grasping. So a personal example of this, um, my mom is 89 now. Uh, several years ago, my dad died, and uh, she's still to this day quite sharp and active. She is a social butterfly, has memberships in various clubs, like the Iris Club and the Garden Club. and. Yet I worry. She even came here once for an inner critic retreat that that Boncho and I were leading. And um, she really would have rather been in the garden. I mean, she kind of humored us. She took all her breaks out there. (laughs) Should've just let her go out there. Made her do the inner critic retreat. So her car was wearing out. And she lives on a house that has a couple big hills on it in, in Illinois. The winter can be snowy, icy. I'm imagining how is she gonna get out if she needs to. Now my brother's there, this is a long story, but the four-wheel drive vehicle was not working anymore. So now I have worries. I want her to be safe. I want her to be peaceful. I don't want her to be stranded in the house if there's something, some, something. But she would rather do a lot of other things than buy a car. So there was some effort involved, I dare say pushing. And in retrospect, I could see that this was a lot more attached to my worries about her, my discomfort, my agenda. So, of course, caring about people's well-being, we want to respond to what arises, but maybe not Try to prevent the 10,000 disasters that we can imagine might befall our dear ones. Or act in ways that are more about, you know, for me, decreasing my own anxiety or assuaging my own guilt for being so far away from her. Practicing metta with our family members. These can be some of the most difficult beings in our lives. They say they know how to press all your buttons because they installed them. <laughs> so there can be a gripping in our metta practice or an aversion. This gripping, may you live your life the way I think you should live your life so that you may be happy because I am pretty sure I know better. I don't, I don't think that's in the Metta Sutta. <laughs> Touching on our dear ones at best just simply opens our hearts. And maybe simple is better if you have an uncomplicated relationship with somebody. That may not be those closest. Simple is better. We can use this heart-opening energy as a jumping-off point to then notice those we share the cosmos with, those we don't even think about. That's the next category, the neutral ones. Those we might not even see or appreciate. Those we are ignorant about. Who do we think brought us all this food that we're eating? Just tracing back one item of food. There are many hands, many people, many beings. We bring some curiosity and a knowing that all these beings want to be happy. All these beings want to be free from suffering. The merit list that we recite in the morning, this is another opportunity to awaken to the beings that we may not be aware of, and to once again make our practice an offering when we offer the merit, when we dedicate the merit of our practice, we're basically saying, if this practice is doing anything, having any benefit at all, may that benefit flow to these people, to these beings, to these animals, to this earth. how expansive, how enlarging that is. Our capacity for love, for kindness, is so much greater than we thought. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Then we practice include those who we may have anger towards. We might practice with a difficult one. The far enemy of metta, it's opposite is hatred or ill will. And it says that in the metta chant, free from hatred and ill will. Or when the poison of anger is activated. This is often pretty easy to see, pretty easy to feel. You might feel that emerge as you bring into mind the difficult person into your metta practice. but what is under that hatred and ill will? When you bring to mind a difficult person, what is difficult about them? When anger arises, is there also any fear? Please look for that. What is the fear? Fear of loss, fear of harm. Wanting people and things to be different than they are while deeply understandable is by the Buddha's definition, suffering. As we expand our practice, please notice how it goes for you. For some people, practicing with these categories may be a way to really strengthen your practice. Some people may want to take up the challenge of bringing a really difficult person, but this might be coming from a place of pushing or striving or self-improvement or a should or being a good Buddhist, whatever that is to eradicate any ill will, take up the most difficult person of my life or that I can possibly imagine. You might have done Meta for a few days now, and here you are on your baby deer legs of Meta, that you're setting up to do battle with Godzilla. If that is your energy pushing or trying to achieve greatness, Please consider slowing your roll. This is a place of discernment and exploration. Please appreciate your life as you, as you explore the practices, which are wide open and none are greater or lesser than any other. It might be invigorating to take up a challenge. If you have a stable, some stability of heart and mind, invite that challenge in a spirit of curiosity about what might come up, curiosity about where you're insisting on something or averse to something. You can invite a deeper look into what's going on, inviting the dynamic, ever-changing life of this moment to allow you to see something fresh and new. Then that might be the spirit There's no need to force anything. There's no such thing as selfishness in this practice. The practice radiates in all directions. There's no reference point. Meta is like water in a loosely woven basket. You're not going to be able to hoard it. If you did nothing more than offer the phrases, the energy, the acceptance, the compassion to your own body, your own suffering, this is sufficient, this is sufficient. You don't even have to have a feeling. Just do the practice. Keep it simple. That was good advice yesterday. Because metta is a practice of no separation. For our difficult person, we might also be doing some fancy mind footwork called projection onto others. The most difficult people in our lives often reveal something about the parts of ourselves that we have disowned or don't want to accept. Or maybe our vulnerability But if it's truly projection, I really appreciate the tradition of the 12 steps and their slogans. They're just as good as the Lojong, the Tibetan Lojong slogans, the 12 step slogans. You spot it, you got it, I think is one of them. Or if you're pointing one finger out, you've got three more pointing at yourself. So that can be a way to identify where this difficult person where it can be actually worked with. And project it out so we can point out there to it, see the problem out there, feel very distant and separate from all that, and perhaps feel a bit superior or right, which may be an attempt to feel safe but it can be quite costly. There's a powerful thought covering righteousness, rightness, being right, being somebody. What is your relationship to this? Righteousness, rightness. This is one powerful way to shore up the walls of mind and heart. It's a practice of self-making or mind-making. These are two words that I learned from a Theravadan Bhikkhu Ajahn teacher named Ajahn Amaro. He came here several years ago and offered a retreat. And he shared these words in, I believe they're Sanskrit, ahankara and mamankara. Mahankara is self-making. Mamankara is mine making. And I thought, "How amazing that there are words for this thing that I am doing all the time. Rightness, it can be quite pleasurable, even intoxicating. Here's a poem. The Place Where We Are Right by Yehuda Amichai. Yehuda Amichai is an Israeli poet of the 20th century. The Place Where We Are Right. From the place where we are right, flowers will never grow in the spring. The place where we are right is hard and trampled like a yard, but Doubts and loves dig up the world like a mole, a plow, and a whisper will be heard in the place where the ruined house once stood. The place where we are right. From the place where we are right, flowers will never grow in the spring. The place where we are right is hard and trampled like a yard. But doubts and loves dig up the world like a mole, a plow, and a whisper will be heard in the place where the ruined house once stood. Doubts and loves. Doubts and loves. This doubt is not the skeptical doubt that is diminishing us or tells us we can't practice or that we are broken. That's not the doubt that this is talking about. This doubt is curious. It is don't know mind. It is questioning the categories we have limited ourselves to, the thought coverings and the walls of the mind, the walls of ourself, the walls of the heart. Doubts about the stories we tell over and over again about who we are and who others are. Doubts and loves, allowing us to see things fresh, to open to the world just as it is. (coughs) Softening that hard ground with the waters of compassion. It seeps in, it dissolves. The mole works underground in the dark, underneath our awareness. We have no idea what's happening. So how can we possibly judge our practice? Judging our practice, what a waste of energy. Please use that energy in your zazen Please apply that energy to generating metta. Doubts and loves. Seeing what is true and letting the heart be touched. I wanna to close with a, an experience of metta practice. Meta practice can transform and help us see what's true. I had an experience of having to receive some dental work and a few things needed doing. So there was some extended period of time, you know, in that setting, in that experience, the pointy metal things and the high-pitched drilling and the smells and the sensations, the helplessness, and I probably have, you know, garden variety aversion to dental procedures, so I was noticing how my body would tense up, so I would purposely relax the body, and then before I knew it, it would be tense again, so then I would purposely relax the body again and again and again. So then I started doing the metaphrases for myself. May I be free from fear and anxiety. May I be at ease. May I be at peace. And then I started noticing all the people doing the work in the room with me, the dentist, the assistant. And I was offering them the phrases in my mind May you be free from fear and anxiety. May you be at ease. May you be at peace. Wishing them in this wholeheartedness, the wholeheartedness inspired by the circumstances. And then something happened. I could see, I could actually see how everything, everything, everything was an expression of great compassion. Every instrument was designed to take care of my teeth and to relieve or prevent suffering, even the pointy metal things, every latex glove there to protect me and the people wearing them the bland, framed prints on the walls. They were there to try to create an atmosphere of calm. The professionals who were there offering me their care every year of their schooling, including the people who taught them how to read, they were all there. It was all there. Everything was there. It was obvious. So much kindness packed into that room. Everything is like this. Seeing what's true, letting the heart be touched. So please practice metta wholeheartedly with your voice, with every step, with each bow, with each breath. Just do your best and let any outcome take care of itself. Thank you.